Well, as we continue in our series in Encountering Jesus, it'd be great if you could have your Bibles or Bible app open to Luke chapter 7. And as we do so, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much that you're a God who has made yourself known to us, that you're a God who speaks to us, that you have given us your word. And so we pray that as we open it tonight, today, that you'll be helping us, you'll be opening up our lives, that your Holy Spirit will be at work in us, transforming us to be more like you. In your name, amen. Growing up, our family used to watch a TV show called Keeping Up Appearances. It ran from 1990 to 95 in the UK, and it's about an eccentric and snobbish middle-class lady called Hyacinth Bucket, or Hyacinth Bouquet. Uh, She desperately wants to crawl up the social class ladder. She wants to have influence. She wants to impress everyone. So her dinners have to be perfect. Uh, The way that she answers her telephone has to be extremely prim and proper. However, her extended family are less than upper class. Uh, Every episode, her attempts to impress are comically disrupted by her sisters and her father, with her husband Richard tagging along for the ride. Now, if Hyacinth was hosting this dinner party that we've just heard about, she would have been extremely concerned, and it could have possibly made for some great comedy. Social conventions are broken, Uh, There may have been awkward silences and awkward looks in the room because what happens in the dinner is something extraordinary, something beautiful, something shocking. At this dinner, a woman comes in whose reputation isn't great and makes an absolute scene at the feet of Jesus. And she's met with judgment from the hyacinth-like Pharisee, but it's met with love and grace from Jesus. So let's get into it together. Look at me from verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, we've already seen the Pharisees uh, in our series. Uh, These guys were the religious leaders of the day. They didn't particularly like Jesus. They weren't the founding members of his fan club, but were probably the founding members of his opposition club. Uh, We've seen that they were beginning to plot his downfall. Uh, Now, if I was in this situation and was invited over to dinner to one of their places, uh, I'd think I'd have a hard time accepting the invitation. Uh, Who wants to go and meet with the opposition? Uh, But Jesus is far more gracious than I. Not that that's a particularly high bar. But he goes along and reclines at the table. The way that these dinners would have happened is that there would have been food in the middle and some lie-lowing cushions or couches around it. Uh, You would go into the room, you would lie down on the couches, supported by your left arm with your face inwards towards the food, and towards the other guests, and your right hand would be free to grow in and grab food and eat it, and your feet would be stuck out behind you. Uh, Meanwhile, uninvited guests were allowed to come on in and peruse and be around the edges of the room. 
So here is Jesus in this quite close, intimate setting with Simon the Pharisee. He makes no delineation between who he eats with, whether tax collector or religious elite, uh, whether for him or against him, lower or upper class. He is generous and kind with all sorts of people. But then as they are eating, dinner gets interrupted. Uh, There are murmurs around the table as the woman walks in, looking around, looking for a certain person. She has a jar of perfume with her. But people know who she is. She's a woman who has lived a sinful life, we are told. Modern commentators and uh, throughout church history, it's been uh, identified that she is a prostitute. But the background here, uh, the focus isn't on her background or on what she has done in the past, but in what she does right now. So look for me from verse 37. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Just imagine that she goes in here with a plan to anoint Jesus. But then she's so overwhelmed with love and devotion to Jesus that she just starts crying and crying and crying. She knows about her past, but she also knows about Jesus' forgiveness and grace. Then Jesus' feet start getting wet because of the tears. She's making a mess. The dust that would have been on his feet from the road starts turning into mud. There are no towels about, so she lets down her hair. But in that society, you weren't to let down your hair in front of other men who weren't your husband. It was considered inappropriate. But she's so overwhelmed by grace and gratitude that all public conventions get thrown out the window. She kissed his dusty feet, poured this expensive perfume on him. There were no shoes and socks, no R.M. Williams boots, just sandals on dusty roads, and the washing of the feet was reserved for the servants, the slaves. So in washing them with her tears and pouring perfume on them, is a total display of humility and gratitude before Jesus. This isn't proper. This doesn't follow social conventions. But when all of your sins have been forgiven by the king of the universe, who cares about social conventions? She has a total devotion and love for Jesus because she has experienced the freedom of his grace. She knows of his love for her. She's someone whose society has tossed aside, cast aside, turned away from and and left behind. But Jesus hasn't. So she's done a shockingly, stunningly beautiful thing for him. Left 
everything behind, including her dignity, to worship him. And let's just remember that this is, this is God in flesh that we're talking about. This is Yahweh in skin being touched and kissed by this sinful woman. Previously, under the old covenant, before Jesus, you couldn't approach God without a sacrifice. And then, only then, only the high priest could go into the special part of the temple where God was said to especially dwell. And he could only do that once a year. But because Jesus has come to us, we can worship him and experience his forgiveness and peace through nothing else but faith alone. And that's exactly what this woman has done. It's such a stunningly, phenomenally lovely act that she has done, but not everybody has recognized this. Uh, Look with me from verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That is, a sinner. A sinner. Ugh. This Pharisee who is Simon uh, can't believe what he is seeing. Uh, this is his thought pattern. This could have been his thought pattern. Uh, this man, Jesus claims to be from God, claims to be a prophet, but any prophet worth his salt would know what type of person this lady is. And then, if he knew, he would have kicked her off or shooed her away or retreated. So then surely this Jesus can't be from God. The fact that God could be mixing it with sinners and with the lowest of the lows and with the outcasts didn't make sense for Simon. As far as he was concerned, Jesus should rebuke the woman. Why? Well, because he could only identify this woman, not by who she is, but by what she has done. According to Simon, this woman is a sinner. Will always be. Always treated as such. No redemption. But the reality is that Jesus knows exactly who this woman is. Jesus knows exactly what she has done. But according to Jesus, her sins are forgiven. What she has done in the past does not define her, but who she is in relation to himself is what defines her. It doesn't matter what sins she has committed, those are forgotten. But all that matters is that she has repented and turned to him as Lord. She once was lost, but now is found, was blind, but now she sees. But Simon doesn't get it. So Jesus uses this opportunity to teach him. Uh, Verse 40, he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, this is a bit like the equivalent of a parent pulling a kid aside at a party uh, to correcting their behavior or something like that, or like a boss pulling a worker aside after a meeting. Simon, get your listening ears on, buddy. Jesus tells a short story, verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. A denarii was about a day's wages. Uh, neither of them 
had the money to pay him back. Now, let's just pause it and notice here. It doesn't matter if they've racked up a debt of $1,000 or $10,000 or even $100,000. These people are both in the same boat. They can't pay. They are both in debt, both in danger of being charged or thrown into prison for not being able to pay their debts. So middle of verse 42. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. They were both in debt, but then both forgiven. Now free to go. So which one would be more devoted to or in more gratitude towards the lender? Well, obviously the one who has had the larger amount forgiven. Let me put it like this. If somebody agreed to pay your next electricity bill, you'd be pretty thankful, wouldn't you? But what if somebody agreed to pay off your housing mortgage or your car loan? You would be phenomenally thankful and grateful towards them. Now, instead of money, think about sin. If someone had lived a life completely in sin and rebellion, but another had come to Christ maybe earlier on in life and maybe had what we would call a cleaner record and were both forgiven about Jesus, forgiven by Jesus, who do you think would have the greater devotion towards him? They were both at one point lost and dead in their sins. No good deed could have saved them. But Jesus forgives them. Who do you think would lose themselves in gratitude and praise to God? Well, the one who had realized that they had been forgiven more. Just like the sinful woman. At some of the greatest sinners make the great saints. Think about the Apostle Paul who persecuted the church, who then came to Christ and became the greatest apostle. Think about John Newton, who was once a slave trader, ruining the, the lives of thousands, but then repented and wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Now, it's important to note here, this isn't to say that you can't have a full love for Jesus if you have not lived a rebellious life beforehand. That's not on. Uh, also, this doesn't mean that we should sin all the more so that grace and the amount of forgiveness might increase. That's also ridiculous. But the more that we see a record of our sin laid bare and the more that we see the mouldy nooks and crannies and darkness of our lives lit up and exposed by his light, and still see his forgiveness on offer and accept it, the more that our gratitude and love towards him will deepen and grow. The more that we realize just how much we've forgiven, the more we'll grow in gratitude. That's why, why we read and go through the Bible. We see the standard that God expects of us. We see how far we have fallen short and we see just how great God's grace is for us. 
That's why whenever we gather here together, we confess our sins, remind ourselves, and then reassure ourselves of God's forgiveness and grace to help us grow in our love and devotion to him. And then as we continue to mature and see the depths of God's love for us, our love for him will deepen. So Jesus turns to the woman still at his feet. He doesn't recoil, doesn't rebuke, nor does he dismiss the truth that she has lived a sinful life. But he exposes the difference between the welcome of the woman and Simon's welcome. In verse 44, he explains how he came into Simon's very own house. Now, when someone enters our houses today, it's probably common courtesy to offer some water, uh, maybe a tea or a coffee, and a comfy seat. Uh, In the first century, when inviting people into your house, it was common courtesy to offer them some water for them to be able to wash their feet, uh, for them to greet with a holy kiss, with a kiss, and then to offer them oil for refreshment for their skin. Now, Jesus came into Simon's house, but we're told that Simon didn't do any of these things. Nothing of the sort. Uh, We don't get to hear Simon's rebuttal or excuses, but Jesus simply states the fact. But then on the flip side, the woman has gone above and beyond. She just didn't provide foot water. She cleaned his feet with her very tears, washed them with her hair, hadn't stopped kissing them, and poured this expensive perfume all over them. Simon's welcome into his home was a bit lackluster. The woman's welcome of Jesus into her heart was powerful. And why? Because of her utter amazing love for Jesus. She must have heard from Jesus before or heard about his forgiveness because her love for Jesus shows that she has been forgiven. Look at me from verse 47. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Note that he doesn't make light of the sins before, or just glosses over them. He points out that she has committed many sins. But he also points out that his mercy is enough for her. Note that she didn't earn forgiveness by what she had done. She did what she did out of love and devotion because she has been forgiven. On the other hand, those who don't realize how much they have forgiven, they have been forgiven, those who think that they are good enough, those who think they can add to their salvation, those who think that they can earn brownie points with God, and those who don't realize that they need forgiving, will love little. But the woman knows her past and God knows God's grace. 
So Jesus says the most beautiful words of assurance. Verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Woman, my child, there is now no need for fear. There is no more need for guilt. No shame. Your sins have been forgiven. Brothers and sisters, there is no need to be weighed down by sin. Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. You can go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We can now go and grow in our devotion to him and love for him as we continuously plumb the depths of the gospel. The simple great news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners through his death and resurrection. This news came afresh to me one night. Uh, I remember it vividly. I was 14 at the time, and our youth group was doing a combined uh, youth night with some other churches in the area. Uh, It was a night designed for evangelism for us to bring along our school friends too, but I reckon it was a night designed for me. Uh, The music was impressive, the light show was nice, but the message hit me like a ton of bricks. I'd heard the gospel before. I'd heard this message before. But this night, it hit me in a new way. The speaker laid out the reality of sin. He laid out the reality that sin is real, hurtful, harmful, and if left undealt with, eternally dangerous and that everybody is guilty of it. On that night, I realized that I was a sinner in serious trouble, and that there was nothing that I could do to save myself. I saw the reality of my sin laid bare. But then he went on to explain (laughs) that on that cross, Jesus took my sin and your sin onto himself. So then I had no need to fear. I had no need to be weighed down because I had been forgiven. I had a clean slate, eternal peace because he loves me so much. And I broke down broke down into tears in both grief of my sin but also thankfulness to God. I needed that forgiveness. And on that night, I affirmed and gave my life to Christ. And let me tell you, my love and devotion for God right then was a raging hot fire. Uh, Throughout the years, this love has been hotter. It's also been colder. 
up and down, but what constantly renews me, my love, is the great reassurance that God has forgiven me. Just like he forgave the redeemed woman in this passage. Yes, you know, we could read the Bible twice in a year. We could do every single Ridley certificate subject that's on offer. We could go to Bible college. We could serve on multiple rosters. Uh, We could meet up with a friend and read the Bible and pray together. But we can never move on from the simple core fact that Jesus has forgiven us. There is no such thing as a grace graduate. We should constantly come back to words like these that say, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless Lamb of God was He. Sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray and give thanks. Loving Lord, thank you so much that you are a saving God. That you have loved us. That you do love us. That you have sent your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, help this news never to grow stale. Refresh us in this daily. And Lord, help us to grow in our love and devotion to you. That we may live lives which reflect your goodness and forgiveness. That others may come to know you as well. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.